So today it's the 23rd of July, 2023. It's the ninth day of this online retreat together. So we see that uh, time has passed by very quickly, it just keeps going past from the 15th, uh, the first day that we started this. And so we've listened to teachings of the Dhamma, we've practiced together. Some people have taken the time to uh, commit to the entire retreat, to every session. And some people have been joining us when they're free and they have the opportunity. So we come together to listen to the Dhamma and contemplate the Dhamma. And so if we carry on practicing in this way, then one day our hearts will gain insight and knowledge. And this good understanding into the Dhamma. So we'll have this energy there, this energy of heart. And this arises from faith. So this pala, the sata pala, the energy of faith. And this is a strong, powerful energy. And it's one of the 37 wings to awakening. And within those, there's the four itipadas, the bases for success. So beginning those bases uh, is chanda. So this wish, desire, we can even call it inspiration in modern language. Because if we use the old term, uh, chanda, it may be difficult for people to get that these days. Uh, but we can use the word inspiration these days. So it's like we have this energy, this inspiration to listen to the Dhamma. And we do that, then we can meet with success. So whatever we have energy uh, for, towards, um, then we can meet with success in that thing. So in order for our studies to succeed, we need this inspiration there. And the same with our work, we need to be firm in our inspiration in that. And then we'll have effort as well. So this practice of the Dhamma, it's the same thing. In the beginning, it can be extremely difficult. And this was the case for myself as well. Now I had some uh, interest in meditating. And this arose from seeing one of my uh, teachers in the way that he acted. The, the students in the class were just as students are. Some were interested in the lesson and some weren't. And the teacher at one point got angry and threw the chalk and the duster um, over to the other side of the room. But in just a small amount of time, that mood of anger had faded already. So I wondered to myself, well, why did it go away so quickly? Because for myself, this anger, my anger, would stay for a really long time. It would take me a long time before I could get rid of it. We see how anger, dosa, this really grabs our hearts. It's not something that's easy to let go of. And the Buddha said this, that uh, there's nothing that grabs the heart like anger. 
It's really firm. And there's no glue that can compare in its strength um, to anger, how it sticks, how it grabs onto things. But this teacher, he was able to put it down really quickly. And so I asked him how he could do that. And he said that he trained in vipassana meditation. So I tried to do that, but I'd get pretty distracted. I had this, um, but I still had this interest in sitting in meditation. So I carried on trying, putting my effort with it. And as I did that, then I experienced some lightness in my heart. Whenever I felt inner suffering and stress, and I felt like I didn't have a refuge, then I would think about this meditation, try to bring the mind to just be with the breath. And then there'd be a feeling of lightness in my body and heart, there'd be a great feeling of ease there. Certain meditation in the morning when the weather was very pleasant. And so it begins with this inspiration. And for that inspiration, we need to meet with suffering first. Because if we just meet with pleasure and happiness, then we won't be interested in seeking a path out. Because those pleasant moods and those pleasant objects, um, they delude us, that we get distracted by them, lost in them. This is kamma-tanha, this craving for sensuality, getting lost in sights and sounds, uh, odors, tastes, tactile sensations, and feelings, thoughts. If we have a lot of them, then we get really lost in them, really distracted by them, and it's just normal for it to be that way. But if we meet with states of suffering, then we'll seek a path out, because we'll feel that we don't have a path out already. We don't have any way of fixing it. So we'll find the Dhamma in order to give us an exit route, in order to allow us to solve that suffering. But it doesn't happen immediately. It requires our effort as well. So we put in our effort into developing these uh, four bases for success. And they require our effort too. So like with the theory of Buddhism that we study that, we listen to the teachings, we listen to uh, the Dhamma of awakened beings who have a knowledge and understanding into the Dhamma themselves, or perhaps have attained to the Dhamma themselves. And so that gives rise to faith. And that faith then we seek out. We seek out the Dhamma and those good Dhamma teachers so for myself, I had the great fortune and merit to meet with many uh, highly respected monks, many arahants, and I would travel around Thailand to pay respects to them. And I met with Venerable Ajahn Chah as well. And so I listened to his teachings uh, continuously. I had effort, sincerity, this uh, power of faith came up. 
So from that faith, then this effort came up. And there was effort in creating merit and offering food to the monks on arms round. And this is something that I'd never done before. From the time that I was born, in the whole 18 years, I hadn't offered any food to monks on arms round. So I began to do that, began to uh, create this goodness little by little. So if we have that faith, then we can do these offerings, just like all of you do, the way that you uh, make your offerings and offer food. But if we don't have faith, then we see the monks pass by our house and we just let them pass by. Our homes may be very close to the monastery, but it's as if they're really far away. But if we have faith, however, then being far is actually being very close by. Like all of you, you know, coming together from many countries all around the world, but really you're close by. Some people, however, are really close to the monastery, but they're far away. But we can't blame them because that's what we were like before as well. That these defilements, they take us to be lost in the world. And by being lost in the world, what that is, is being lost in sense impressions. And that's how Ajahn Chah put it. Being deluded in the world is being deluded in sense impressions. That we get caught up in these things, we get lost in them get intoxicated by them. But as we carry on doing that, then we experience the suffering of that and we feel like we need to find a way out. We need to find a way to be able to put things down. Because if we're holding on to something which is really hot, we need a way of putting that down. So we need a way of releasing the heart from its sadness and its suffering. So we set our hearts on that, coming to study the Dhamma, bring our minds to be focused on the Dhamma so that we can fix that suffering. So if we practice following the teachings of the Buddha, then we'll have these qualities of mindfulness and wisdom. And wisdom, it's a subtle quality that we use to contemplate into things in order to bring the mind to peace. So we study how it is that we can bring the mind to peace. Because if the mind's just chaotic, it's not firm and not collected, then we won't be able to solve our suffering. Even though we may make merit, we may be generous, but still there's the suffering there which arises within our hearts. There's the happiness as well that we gain from uh, these meritorious deeds. And they take us to be born as a human, or a deva, or a brahma god. But really this happens in our hearts. And when we see the Dhamma, we see it here in our hearts. When we uh, attain to Nibbana, or go to Nibbana, it's just here in our hearts, it's not elsewhere. Therefore, we need to study, we need to seek out this path that will take us to success. We also need to have the four rights exertions as well. 
So the effort to abandon evil, unskillful states that have arisen already. And for that, we need our mindfulness and wisdom, don't we? So whatever evil, unskillful states have arisen in the mind, at present we put our effort into abandoning them. We also put our effort into not allowing unarisen, unskillful states to arise. Any goodness that has arisen already, we put our effort into nurturing that, caring for it. So we have chanda in doing this, in these right exertions, and this wish or desire to do this. And we also have the indriyas, uh, the faculties, or those which are the leader at a specific time that we're engaging in a duty. So there's the faculty of, uh, so there's faith and then effort, mindfulness, samadhi, and wisdom. And when these grow in energy, they become strengths, powers, pala. So like if we have great energy to our faith, and that's a pala, that's a power that we have. So when we put in our efforts like this, we carry on doing this, we're generous, we maintain our uh, virtue, then it's like we're really close by, close to the monastery. Can see that many of the people joining now have made the effort to travel to Watmapchan here in the past. And many of you from places like uh, Singapore, Malaysia, India, from around uh, Europe as well. You can see there are the nuns who keep the eight precepts and ten precepts. Many people who have come here to practice the Dhamma, to attend retreats here before. How many of you attend the Friday evening Zoom sessions that we have, really intense on listening? So this reminds me of myself before, uh, that there would be respected senior monks who would give Dhamma talks uh, via the radio, and I would really be intent on listening to them. Or if they had the kindness to travel to Bangkok to teach, then I would travel hundreds of kilometers to go and listen to their talks as well. And that was due to the faith and the effort that I had, that I would try to do these things. If I had some time off work, perhaps a long weekend or holidays, in three days or seven days, then I would travel to pay respects to these uh, great awakened teachers. And why did I do that? Well, so that I could receive the Dhamma, could listen to the Dhamma from them. So one year I'd travel to the north of Thailand to visit respected teachers there. Another year to the northeast, I traveled to Wat Nombapong. And also the teachers around central Thailand as well. And even when I ordained as a monk, I would still uh, very frequently go and pay my respects to these great monks too. And so I did that through faith. And then I would take the teachings that they gave me and intently put them into practice. 
And this is a really significant point. That when we've listened to these teachings, we take them into uh, ourselves and we practice them. And through this, uh, the Dhamma that we gain grows, the wisdom that we gain grows. So it starts off with faith. This is what we have in the beginning. And then we have our effort and our energy, really setting our hearts on seeking out the Dhamma. Because these teachers, they point us the way, the way to seeing the Dhamma. Like what is Sotapanna, stream entry, like? A Sotapanna is one who has entered into the stream that flows to Nibbana, that they have closed off the lower realms. And when I heard this point, it really resonated with me because I was really afraid of those lower realms. And I saw that I had a lot of old karma that I had made, that we all do. There's a lot of defilements in my heart. I'd been through many lives already, done many things. And these defilements, they can take us down, take us to being animals. And there's a lot of suffering in the animal world. And even more so if we go lower than that, as uh, hungry ghosts, asura guys, uh, the jealous gods, or hell beings, there's immense suffering there. And so there's great suffering in our hearts when we go to those places. It's like when we dream, and we dream that we're being like tortured or that we're going through immense pain and suffering. And when we wake up, we still have the memory of that dream. And we feel like going down to one of those places would be really terrible. And if the mind left the body at that point and we uh, got born there, then we'd be tortured for millions of years, going through incredible suffering for that time. So we can reflect then on a perfectly self-awakened Buddha and how he sacrificed so much to cultivate the spiritual uh, virtues, perfections, through so many lifetimes that he experienced all the suffering, this torture, being born in the animal world, being born in hell. And he did that for us, out of compassion for us. And so we have received these teachings already. He's pointed out the path, take this path. This is the path that will lead one to stream entry so that we won't have to fall into these lower realms. There'll be no eighth life. We just go between the human world and the heaven worlds. There's just seven lives left. But the way that Ajahn Chah phrased it is there's no eighth life. And the meaning of that is just seven lives. So what's that like? What's is being a stream enterer like? Well, a stream enterer is one who has right view. They have samaditi. They have these views which are upright and straight and correct. You also keep the five precepts just as a natural activity for them. And they also have knowledge that this body that we normally cling to so strongly as being me, 
is actually not-self, that there's changed that view into not-self. It's not who I am. So they've got knowledge over this path of practice. And they do acts of generosity and keep virtue in order to abandon the defilements. That they don't want for, they don't wish for personal benefits from that, from the acts of generosity or of virtue. What they wish for is higher than that. And that normally when we are generous or we keep precepts, we do that wishing for benefits from it. But for a sotapanna, they do it out of the desire to destroy the defilements. So when we listen to these teachings and we contemplate them, and we may be sitting there and we may reflect upon ourselves, and we think, well, I keep the five precepts, and I have this um, unshaking faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. I've looked at my body and I've seen that it's not self. So we think, well, oh, the, the teacher is saying that I'm a Sotapanna now. And so we can contemplate, well, this maybe is a Sotapanna on the level of Bharami, on the level of spiritual uh, virtue. It's uh, Sotapatimaga, and so the path of stream entry, but it's not yet Sotapatipala, uh, the fruits of stream entry. But if we just carry on practicing, uh, we don't break the five precepts. We listen, or sorry, we set our hearts on meditation practice. If we have a bit of wealth, then we give a bit. We're generous in line with that in a way that doesn't create difficulty for us. And then there's a fullness that comes up in our heart uh, due to that merit. And like Lady Visaka, she was a stream entry already, but still she had this faith and generosity constantly. And that gave her great fullness and contentment in her heart. As one time there was the, the ceremony for opening a monastery, and she danced because she was so happy uh, at the merit of that. And then when she passed away from that life, uh, she was born in Tawatingsa, heaven realm, and due to that of happiness that she had. And then next she will be born as a human to uh, attend to Maitreya Buddha, who is the next Buddha. So the good results of generosity is that it gives us this great joy of heart. And we also have this interest in training our minds as well, in bringing the minds to peace, in creating wholesome mind states, creating uh, skillful deeds. So yesterday we had the ordination ceremonies of nine monks, and there were many lay people who came here to Wat Mapjan or who joined online. Many of the people who joined, they felt a lot of rapture uh, due to that ceremony, reflecting how these are new members of the Sangha, people who can help to 
uh, extends the life of the Buddha Sasana. Because when we offer the material aspects of the Buddha Sasana, if there isn't any members of the Sasana to practice the Dhamma, then only small results will come up from that. So therefore, the members of the religion are really important. They help to carry on the life of Buddhism and it brings great benefit. Because if we didn't have people doing that from the time of the Buddha, then the Buddha's teachings, they wouldn't have lasted to this day. But as due to the Arahants and the beings who had Sila and Dhamma, that they have taken Buddhism to this present day. And so we, in turn, are taking Buddhism into the future. Because the great teachers, they're getting old already. For myself, I'll be 70 uh, next year. But if people are coming to ordain and take on the robes, people who are 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, and they come and they contemplate these teachings, practice in line with them, and gain Marga, Pala, Nibbana, the paths, the fruitions, and Nibbana, and they'll be able to extend Buddhism further to take that on into the future. It's the same for the lay people as well. All the lay people have helped to take Buddhism to this present day as well, helped to support and attend to the Buddhasasana, to share your wealth that you've gained with such great difficulty and to generously give that uh, to benefit this religion. So a lot of fullness, rapture can arise within people's hearts due to walking this path of dana, sila and bhavana. And then we receive the kamatana teachings from the preceptor, which go even deeper. So these are the teachings of uh, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin. These five things which wrap our bodies. So we should look at these well and contemplate them well. If we clean them, then we're able to live together in a way that we don't get disgusted by one another. But if we don't clean them, then disgust will arise. It's like our hair that we need to wash that continuously so it doesn't get dirty and smelly. And our nails, we need to cut those. The different parts of our body externally, we use water to clean that, to purify it. Because if we don't do that, then bacteria will grow. Um, that they grow and then they perform their duty and produce this foul smell. And then we'll feel that these bodies are really disgusting things because the sweat pours out from the pores in our skin and the bacteria grow on them. And it's only when we clean and wash the body that we can feel at ease, comfortable. 
But these bacteria, they're born each day. So we need to be washing constantly. It's like we take a white cloth. If we put a white cloth on this body, then in no long time it will be dirty already. Because the body is filled with unclean things. And it's all red and bloody inside. And during my fourth year as a monk, uh, Ajahn Chah said that if we peel the skin off everyone's body sitting here, then there'll just be red blood that we'll see. The bacteria will perform its duty and a foul smell will come up. So when I listened to that teaching at the time, I didn't yet see it. But further on, when I carried on practicing, I saw that that's how it really is. The body really isn't a beautiful thing. And a joy arose within my heart. There was this deep understanding there. Until I saw the truth of uh, the phrase that beauty is in a disgusting corpse. That if we see the body as being something unbeautiful, not beautiful, then the heart becomes beautiful. So as monks, we're taught these kamatana objects of kesa, loma, naka, danta, tacho, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. And these are things which lay people can contemplate as well. If this delight arises within your hearts frequently, delight towards your own body or the bodies of others. And this delight is something that eats away and erodes at the hearts. So you can also take up this practice of keeping the eight precepts as well being intense on abandoning uh, this lust within the heart <clears throat> in order to protect the mind from getting frantic and stirred up. So the mind can come to peace and stillness so that samadhi, collectedness, can arise. So as we carry on practicing in this way, then the mind does reach into peace and stillness. So it's like Venerable Yasa, who was an Arahant. And in a previous life, he had the, or he took up the duty of burning corpses uh, that didn't have any relatives left uh, to do that duty. And he did that work without uh, asking for any pay. So there was one day that there was a body that had a lot of fat and so it wouldn't burn easily. So he took a stick and poked at the corpse and then all of this fat flowed out from it. And this was an image that stuck in his mind and he reached first jhana through that. And then in future lives, he carried on practicing, cultivating his mind until his barami became full and he could reach eighth jhana. So when he met the perfectly self-awakened Buddha, then he listened to the teachings that the Buddha gave. 
And what brought him there was this very important knowledge that came up, this yana, that he saw all of the people sleeping around him as though they were corpses in a charnel ground. He came from a very rich family. There was a lot of entertainment and enjoyment that he had in his life. And so he wondered, well, why are things like this? He saw all these people around him as being corpses. And there was weariness that arose. And so he walked from the place where he was and he met uh, the Buddha in the grove of the seers. And when the Buddha saw him, he called his name. And he said, it's not stirred up here. Uh, things aren't uh, difficult here. So he'd been creating this barami for a very long time. And even though he'd never met the Buddha before, the Buddha called his name. And so if that happened to us, how would we feel? We feel that this faith would arise with great strength. And then he listened to the Dhamma. He saw the drawbacks in this cycle of samsara. He saw the suffering of it. He saw how suffering arises due to clinging and craving. Then his mind gathered together and he attained to stream entry and he closed off the lower realms. So for us, that we have cultivated a lot of Bhairami as well, in a similar way to Venerable Yasa, that that fruit of stream entry, it didn't arise just from that one life, but it was for many, many lives. So for us to be able to ordain, that we must have created a lot of Bhairami in the past as well. And so for the lay people who are really sincere in this practice, that a lot of Bhairami is there from our past. That we have this sincerity to come and to take up the precepts, the eight precepts on the lunar observance days, to not sleep in high or luxurious places, to just sleep on a thin mat on the floor, not seeking out the happiness of the comfort of a thick mattress. And this is what I did before, that I took up the eight precepts and as a lay person I had the faith to do that. And so I just slept on a thin mat on the floor, not delighting in that happiness of sleep. So this gives us a lot of benefit, these eight precepts, in keeping the holy life as well, the celibacy of brahmacharya. This furthers the barami that we are creating. So the five precepts, they can take us to stream entry. The eight precepts to anagami, to non-returner. Actually, the five precepts, they can take us uh, to sakatagami, to once-returner as well. And this isn't something that we need to be stirred up by or to doubt about. That we have this faith in this noble path. So we should walk this eightfold path of sila, samadhi, and panya. 
because this is the path that will take us out of suffering. And so we put our efforts into these aspects of sila, samadhi, and panya. And when we do that, then this joy arises in our hearts. And this joy grows into a bojanga, a factor for awakening. We have this mindfulness and wisdom there. Initially, it may just be a minor bojanga, a minor factor for awakening. But as we carry on practicing, then what happens next? And we gain more and more understanding. And then we see into the nature of conventions, we see how all of the things in this world, the things that we may take to be very valuable or not so valuable, are that all of it's just elements. And the mind becomes empty. And is that something that we have seen yet? That normally we attach to things as having a monetary value, but that's just in line with our suppositions. So like water, for example, there's so much of it that we don't think that it has any valuable, any value. But if we're in the middle of a desert, then how much value would one glass of water have? And if we could choose between that glass of water and a ton of gold, which would we choose? So if we tried to pick up that gold and take it out of the desert, we'd die first. So normally that gold would have a lot of value, but in this case, it doesn't have any value. And the water will allow us to survive. So the value depends upon time and place as well. And that's what gives it its value. Its value. Or like if we were lacking in oxygen and we needed to breathe, then how much value would that oxygen have? So if we see all things in the world as just being suppositions or conventions, we see that they don't have any true value to them. And then the mind becomes empty. You see how our lives must end in death and we're not able to take any of the things in this world out with us. No matter how much we gain, we have to leave all of that here. And so we shouldn't be heedless. We gain this interest in the Dhamma, in studying and practicing the Dhamma, so that we can see the Dhamma arise for us. Our faith becomes very firm in this grows. The faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And as we carry on practicing, then we can reach this path or this uh, level of stream entry. So this isn't something that we should doubt about. That when one becomes a stream entry, we see all things are in constant, are always changing. And the mind gathers together and the Dhamma arises. It's not shaken up anymore. So we carry on practicing in this way, and the mind gains great energy. There's great rapture and happiness that arises, peace that comes up. The mind fills up with these things. And when we are in that state, then it's like we're filled with a divine nutrient. And we don't feel like we want to eat anything. But we still do in order to sustain the body. But 
there's no feeling of hunger, there's fullness inside ourselves. And the Dharma is really incredible like this. So may you all set your hearts in practicing in this way, cultivating this path, so that this arises for you, so that you gain this understanding and knowledge into the Dhamma, so that you can close off the lower realms. So may you have your heart set on this, your efforts in walking this eightfold path, in practicing these 37 wings to awakening. And really these aren't things that we need to separate out and study about individually, but we just put them into practice. And that's how Ajahn Chah taught. He said, practice, look at your own mind. If your mind's getting into involved in liking, that's Kama Sukhali Kani Yoga, uh, this path of uh, being caught up in finding pleasure and sensuality. And if it's involved in disliking, it's Atta Kilamatani Yoga, uh, this self-deprivation or mortification. But when there isn't this liking or disliking in the heart, then there's joy that comes up there. You see the nature of arising and ceasing, and joy, happiness fills up the heart. We see that all things in the world just come, stay for a bit, and cease. But this isn't a feeling of gloominess or sadness that's there. But when we see this, there's a fullness, uh, a vitality to our hearts. There's a lot of energy within our hearts when we see that. So practice in this way and your faith will become firm. Do this every day, cultivate this path, and then fullness in your heart will steadily grow and grow. And samadhi arises, and this can stay for one month, many months, even a year. And then each day one grows, and we see the Dhamma to higher and higher levels. The path comes together, and we permanently can cut off the defilements. And there's no doubts there. So we may have read in the scripture of the uh, mind that has changed lineage. And then next, the knowledge that we gain grows deeper and deeper. So in the beginning, just practice this path first. You just cultivate this way of whatever feelings come up, we try to put them down. You don't get involved in liking and disliking. Try to put down our attachments. Try to see how all things are in constant and change. Try to be constantly developing goodness and merit so that we can feel this freshness and fullness in our hearts. So today, this is enough for this Dhamma talk. And may all of you grow in blessings.